what? You have a podcast? Can we just take a second and fully abbreviate this moment together? Don't spare me on Thanksgiving. Because since last time we met, you you become an independent. That's I think correct. Happened that same day or the day after, didn't it? So, as folks know, I have declared, formally declared my independence from what I consider to be a deeply broken two-party system. Those who know me know that I was always an independent voice and always have been for the things that I believe in and for my state and for my country. But I do think it's important to note that, the, that what you've heard about partisanship, I believe, is accurate. You know, in the, in the last two years, if we, if we think, you know, January 6th, which is a horrible day um, from two years ago, um, created, I, I think, concern and fear for every patriotic American across the country. But in the resulting two years, the Democratic Party um, shared a narrative that said we would not have any more free and fair elections in this country if the United States Congress didn't eliminate the filibuster and pass a massive um, voting rights package. As, you, as we all know, the filibuster was not eliminated. Joe and I were not interested in sacrificing that important guardrail for the institution. Um, that massive voting rights bill was not passed through Congress. And then we had a free and fair election all across the country. And as has been noted, the outcome of that election was different than many people expected. Most election deniers lost um, across the country, and individuals of both political parties, some extreme, some moderate, won. So we had a free and fair election. So one could posit that the push by one political party to eliminate an important guardrail in, in an institution in our country may have been premature or overreaching in order to get the short-term victories they wanted. Then we fast forward to where we are today, and we saw the House of Representatives struggle for multiple days in, the, in a row as Kevin McCarthy, dear friend of mine, had to, con had to continue conceding point after point after point to the radical right of the GOP to a point where he's now in an unenviable position that will make it very difficult for us to meet our obligation when the debt limit fight comes up later this year. Those are just two examples of the pull that you see political parties giving in order to get everything they want. Hello and welcome to another episode of Recovery from Politics podcast. I am your host, Kyle Frame, and today is Wednesday, January 18th, 2023. So what you just heard was Kristen Cinema at Davos, which is a European thing for rich people, um, and basically doing her best job of trying to appease and appeal to wealthy people. And you have to understand what wealthy people want is the status quo. They don't like change. So she's bringing all those bells right there, saying that she didn't want to change things, that it's tradition, that it's norm. Uh, she's leaving out uh, a lot. But the thing that I find the most egregious to me in her argument is that she is equating what happened on January 6th and McCarthy's promises to the extreme elements of his party. And she's equating all that to the Democrats wanting to end the filibuster so that they could pass some voting rights bill. These are not the same thing. This is this is one of those things that really bothers me. This is uh, further evidence for me that cinema is not that bright um, and that she's an empty suit. She's she's equating two things that are not equal at all. Again, if the Republicans got what they wanted, then or get what they want, then Trump would still be president. Uh, 
Presumably, Democrats would be beheaded on the Capitol steps. Remember, they did bring in gallows. Um, and we still don't know the results of what Kevin McCarthy's extreme promises are going to be. But if the Democrats got everything they wanted, a voting rights bill would be passed. You know, again, it's that whole thing. It's like, for me, the whole whataboutism and both sides argument is absolutely ridiculous because, again, one side, I mean, if the Democrats got everything they wanted, we would have health care and education for everybody. And if the Republicans get everything they want, we have a dictatorship. Now, I'm sorry. I just don't see how those two things are equal or how you could possibly both sides them. There are obviously elements on both sides that you could equate. Obviously, both sides do have extremes. However, the extreme is in the driver's seat over with the Republicans. And the Democrats uh, can't be bothered with their extremes. I mean... Their version of extreme is Ilhan Omar saying that maybe foreign money shouldn't be involved in our politics. And she's called anti-Semitic for that. And, you know, currently not on any committees because of it. So that's the extremes. The, the, I mean, really, that those are the extremes. Now, Fox News will equate those, of course, because when... You know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez puts out a, you know, green energy report that makes some suggestions. Fox News will find a way to spin it and say, ah, see, she wants to take away your hamburgers. Even though there's absolutely nothing about any of that anywhere in her suggestions uh, of her Green New Deal. So it's, it, I find it very dishonest and, and just, just really dumb. I'm sorry, Cinema is not smart um, when she does this. She sees the audience that she's in front of. This is why I always I, I tell people, I'm telling you now, I guess, uh, those TED Talks that everybody likes, you have to be very careful with them because they are designed for a specific audience. Okay, TED Talks are not free. They are designed and paid for by billionaires. Okay, they, they want billionaires. Have you ever noticed that none of the TED Talks ever talk about how to overthrow your boss or uh, how to unionize or any kind of collective bargaining at all or anything like that? Instead, the TED Talks always about how you can manage your life within the confines of your workspace, which is defined by your employer. Okay, this is why people like Jay Shetty, who I do like, but but he is very popular on the circuit because he talks about how you can just meditate a lot of your problems away, which, you know, your employer would love for you to do because that's a lot easier than you going to HR. You know, um, and and also there was a, a famous instance, uh, the woman, one of the most famous TED Talks was this uh, woman, I'm sorry, I do forget her name. But she popularized the idea of uh, power poses, basically the Wonder Woman pose, you know, where you, you stand with your legs stretched out and your, your fists are resting on your hips, you know, uh, like, a, like a superhero uh, called the Wonder Woman pose. And how you could do that and it would help you feel empowered for a brief period of time to, you know, basically fake it till you make it. If you feel, you know, if you fake being powerful, then you are powerful, right? And she had a whole TED talk about that, and it was great. However, that has 
that that's like a tiny percentage of what her actual study is and she regrets giving that ted talk to this day because she gave she willingly uh self corrected basically where she went in and she said oh i can't say what i really want to say which is that you know the patriarchy is alive and well and that employers are assholes and you know everything else because then i might not get invited back here again i might embarrass the host of this you know forum so she edited her own study down to just the basic power poses again what a single individual can do to improve their own situation rather than what the collective could do or to place blame on employers or landlords or people in power so you have to you know really be careful with ted talks ted talks are always about what you can do to fix your situation and not what you can do to fix the system uh, another famous uh, pieces of those TED Talks, for example, are, you know, when it comes to health, it's always about what you can do for your health and how you need to take charge of your health and never about how the healthcare system is, is radically failing. Um, you know, there are a few outliers, of course, that, uh, that, that disprove what I'm telling you, but you have to take it all as a collective and overall. It is all very much designed for the audience and that's what Kirsten Cinema is speaking to at this point. Okay, January 6th was very scary for rich billionaires because again, they liked the status quo and the, everything was totally fine until January 6th. January 6th scared them because the last thing you want, again, the United States has the most stable dollar on the planet. That's something that's good and we want to keep and it's good that our courts back up things like contracts. Stability is very important to the wealthy because obviously they don't like to gamble with the majority of their wealth. They want to always have something to fall back on and remain very wealthy in their lifestyles forever. So when Cinema gets up and talks about how she's friends with McCarthy and how it's horrible what's happening to him by the extremes, she's also letting them know that that's not what she wants. That's not you know what they want either nobody wants the extremes in charge the thing she does though with the both sides is um, getting rid of the filibuster would be extreme but only to certain people you have to understand to you and me getting rid of the filibuster sounds like it makes total sense hey we have this legislative body where you need a supermajority to get anything the fuck done that doesn't sound fair at all and the more you delve into the history of the filibuster and that it was created post-Civil War as a way to, you know, deny rights to formerly enslaved people, that, that's just like, that's the sole reason the fucker is there to begin with. And it has been weaponized now, usually, to prevent good things from happening. Remember, in order to get Obamacare, Obamacare had to have the 60-vote threshold to make it. Otherwise, that wasn't going to happen, even though it ended up being a very popular thing that everybody kind of wanted. It was used as a tool way too often. It's being used strictly for obstruction. It was used to deny President Obama a, you know, court seat, many court seats. And then as soon as, you know, the rules favored the Republicans, they got rid of it, packed the courts, and now we have a lot of lunatics on it. So... 
She speaks to that because she doesn't want the filibuster to pass. She also doesn't want voting rights to pass. And it's important that, you know, she doesn't mention, oh, we were going to pack the court, which is what I was advocating. You know, I could care less about their legislation. I was like, no, 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 you get rid of the filibuster. You pack that fucking court. Um, and that's where I stand on it. But it's important to notice that she, she did mention the voting rights bill because what the voting rights bill would have done is it would have guaranteed that Republicans who are pro-billionaire, remember, even though they're extreme and crazy, the one bill they fought tooth and nail to pass under Trump for the two years that he had total party control was a massive tax break to the wealthy. So it's very important to them that they keep Republicans in charge, but in check. That's why they don't like the extreme elements of the Republican Party, but they still really like the Republican Party. And they're very afraid of the left because obviously the left wants to raise their taxes. Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, AOC, Ilhan Omar, uh, the squad in general, you know, they love people like Nancy Pelosi. And until I see otherwise, I'm going to lump Hakeem Jeffries in there too, because again, he was her handpicked successor, so there's something wrong with him right off the bat. I'm sorry, that's a red flag. So she brings up the voting rights bill because that would have favored Democrats significantly. Okay, it's possible had the voting rights bill passed, we wouldn't have just had the Republicans lose, uh, you, know, you know, win or have a majority, but have a narrow majority, but possibly the other way around. Democrats possibly holding the House with only five or six votes. So it's, it's very important that she bring that up. She doesn't bring up the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court, again, is in her pocket. Okay, She doesn't bring up Roe v. Wade or any of that BS. And again, billionaires really don't care about that. They really don't. Okay, uh, More pregnant women that they can defund and pay less because they're pregnant, that, that's great for them. They really don't care. That is something that doesn't bother them. They can virtue signal on social media about how they'll they'll give some a few extra sick days to mothers now that they can't get abortions and, you know, whatever else they're going to do because publicly facing that's what you kind of have to do. You don't want to alienate half or more than half of your base. But again, in the grand scheme of things, Roe v. Wade being removed from the lexicon of legality like that doesn't affect anyone's bottom line. They are not worried about that. That is lost wages they can make up somewhere else. It really doesn't bother them. So they're not really big on that. They're not fighting against courts. She specifically brought up something because she said, hey, she knows, winking a nod to the billionaires in the room at Davos, if this voting rights bill passes, that would be the worst thing on earth for you. If the filibuster is removed, then more things like the dreaded f voting rights bill would be passed and that would be bad for you she's speaking to the crowd it's very important to know who she's speaking to okay trump does the same thing uh kind of uh he, you notice how when he's talking to a reporter one-on-one -on -one and he's giving an interview, he does sound slightly different than he does when he's speaking to a rally. When he's at a rally, he's constantly trying to make jokes and riff on things and be beloved, right? He's, he's saying things and he's just, you know, taking in all the applause and the laughter and everything. He just loves that part. He doesn't like the journalist part where he's getting questions, there is no audience, there is no immediate feedback, and again, he's not trying to make the journalist like him, he just doesn't know how to work with that on a on a one-on-one -on -one scale. He's good in a crowd, but not there. So 
you know, I thought it was important to start that off today. Um, there are other things we're going to talk about. I got I got two other things I want to bring up. But I thought it was important that cinema is an empty suit, and she's also not very bright. Because, I mean, there are more nuanced, educated, intelligent ways to say what she's trying to get across. I mean, th- she's just like, this is boilerplate, lowest common denominator, both sidesism, that is really... I'm sorry, it's not bright. It really isn't. Um, she's been accused of being not bright. She's being accused of being a, an empty suit. Somebody who just has no principles at all um, except to remain a senator. And again, I think her entire move to be independent had absolutely nothing to do with principles and only to do with she was about to get primaried and lose in a landslide. And right now, she's betting that the Democrats would rather not run anybody against her than to give the seat to a Republican. And I'm sorry, I don't think Arizona Democrats are going to put up with that when you're that hated. I uh, I think they are going to run against her. I think they don't care if they split the ticket and a Republican wins. I really don't think they do. Um, so I think she's made a, a massive miscalculation. We'll see. Um you know, because it is the Senate and Nancy Pelosi doesn't run that. Um, so we will see. But right now, she's speaking to the crowd and it's very important to get that across. And I think that's something we all need to take into account when we hear people speak is like, who are they really talking to? Kind of reminds me of that Mitt Romney speech when he was running for president and he made the comment about how, you know, uh, 50% of the country or, you know, 45%, I forget the percentage he was saying, but, you know, this percentage of the country is always going to vote Democrat and there's nothing we can do to reach them because, you know, and then he went on to say something insensitive or whatever. And a lot of people took offense to that. And I'm sitting here like, dude, he was sitting in a, in a, in a restaurant setting where it was probably like at least $50,000 a plate to sit there. He's not talking to the common man in that moment. He is talking to people who paid $50,000 a plate. I I was going to cut him some slack because I'm pretty sure that the Democrats do the exact same thing. I I wasn't going to hold him to the fire and go on the offensive uh, because he was saying something to that particular crowd. And I didn't. I didn't find it all that offensive anyway. I thought he was stating fact. Yes, 45% of the country is always going to vote Democrat, just as 45% of the country is always going to vote Republican. And really the war for elections is fought with that last 10%, that independent, moderate, maybe kind of streak. The scary part is that 10% has been shrinking in recent years, and it's getting awfully close. So, you know, again, I'm not going to judge too much i think we need to take into account the audience but also i think it's very telling what she is saying to that audience again in this case what is the big boogeyman that that they're afraid of what is the big boogeyman that she thinks the rich and the powerful are afraid of and it's voting rights and that should be very telling to each and every one of us about a month ago president biden signed uh the annual budget into law and within it was 848 billion dollars in defense spending um that is more than what the next 10 highest cabinets combined is so we're talking you know fda faa all those kinds of things 
Um, the military budget takes up an extreme amount. It uh, also increased by almost 5%, which is the most since World War II, um, you know, adjusted for inflation. That's the largest increase since World War II. And you have to wonder, is like, but we're not at war, right? Afghanistan's over. Iraq is over. Uh, we still have multiple bases. Like, where is this money going? And it's especially, you know, aggrieved to me because this budget, the $848 billion going to defense, does not include any money for veterans affairs So and, and not the health care of veterans. Okay, this is strictly for active duty only. So this isn't including them. Um, and it, 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 it really does bother me, um, especially considering there was a recent report that says one in eight service member families, active duty, uh, are suffering from food insecurity. What that means, food insecurity is defined in this case as someone who either has gone without food recently or is in fear of going without food in the near future. Um, so they're constantly worried about how they're going to feed themselves. Now, this is one of those basic things that to me is extremely striking. Um, as far as I'm concerned, if you're serving in the active military, you should not be making below the poverty line. So that, that just drives me up the wall. Um, but there are families in the United States military, large families, um, and they need their kids to be fed. And unfortunately, on top of the stresses of their job, uh, they have all the stresses of the regular world with us. You know, they have homes, they have cars, they have obligations, they have family members, they have Christmases, just like the rest of us. So, you know, add on to the all the financial burdens that you and I have, and then add on, yeah, they could, you know, go to war at any moment. You know, that that's something very scary to me. And it, and it really bothers me, you know, when, when people, unfortunately, they hear that, there is an assumption that some of this money is actually going to servicemen and women. And unfortunately, it's just not. Most of the money, the vast majority of the money, uh, is going towards upkeep of our empire. The hundreds upon hundreds of military bases around the world so that we may project war into other people's backyards. Uh, bombs. We need bombs. We need planes. We need tanks. There are whole fields of tanks. Some of this is just basic corruption. There is a lot of corruption going on. Some of it is also the wonderful burden of capitalism. Okay, The military-industrial complex that Eisenhower was warning us all about way back when in his farewell speech, I highly recommend you go watch that on YouTube whenever you get a chance, is very basic. You want to control Congress. Okay, You're in the business of making weapons of war, be it a little handgun or a big bomb, right? whatever doesn't matter you're boeing you make jets really doesn't matter what you're building but you want to make sure that your factories are located in as many districts as possible around the country and the purpose of this is very simple it has nothing to do with oh this district has an educated workforce or oh this district has great logistics so i can get my product to and from where it needs to go um it is solely hey we're putting it in this district because the congressperson who is in charge of this district sits on the homeland security council you know 
they're on the right committee. And for years, for decades, for generations now, this is how the military-industrial complex of the United States is run. Prior to World War II, the United States and many nations did not have standing armies. We just didn't. Not to the level or degree that we do now. Sure, there were people who were generals or whatever. You had the upper echelons. But as far as recruitment, any time a war needed to be had, boot camps would open because they were shut down. There was just not a standing army at all times. It was very, very scarce and limited. Because prior to World War II, the United States had this fear of the military. Okay, This was a very real fear that they were worried about. When they threw off the monarchy, they were worried that someone like George Washington, extremely popular, military genius kind, that someone like him would now have all the guns and all the army basically at his beck and call, and that he would seize the presidency and then just not give it up. This was a very real concern back then, and it wasn't without merit. Now, we got very lucky that George Washington wanted absolutely no part in being a king, but he could have made himself that. And that stuck around for the first few years of our you know, existence. It was that the United States knew the military was a thing that we needed to have, but we really didn't want. We really didn't want it. Uh, it was a pain in the ass. Everyone was scared to death of some general or admiral just taking over and causing problems. They didn't want to bestow that much power into one person. Fast forward to World War II, all of a sudden, especially after World War I and II happening pretty much back to back, they were now all of a sudden very concerned, okay, now we do need a standing army, not just because the rest of the world demands it, but because we're the big boys on the block. We're the police. And that is now something that we have taken upon ourselves. So since World War II, we've got bases everywhere. Uh, like I said, we have hundreds of bases the next closest, I think, is Russia, and they only have, like, less than a dozen, less than 12 bases, and they're all defensive bases. They're all close to where, you know, Russia is. They're not, obviously, in Canada or anywhere else like that. But we basically have that. We have a base now in Iraq. We have one in Germany. We have them in Japan. Now, part of this made sense because at the time, after World War II, there was a rule saying, hey conquered nations uh we're tired of you guys starting shit so you're not allowed to have a military or what military you do have is going to be extremely regulated to a very small number strictly for defense and we're going to take care of that but part of the promise was we as the victors will guarantee your safety this is why if anybody fucks with japan the united states is going to immediately be involved is because we have guaranteed their safety that was the deal. You don't get your own military. We'll take care of that because we've seen what you do with the military, right? Same thing with Germany and, you know, Japan, Italy, so on and so forth. I don't know what the deal is over in Iraq, but we do have one of the largest military bases on Earth over there. Um, I don't know if Iraq has any military rules as far as what they can and cannot have. It, it just isn't. I don't know. Um, but we have all this money for bases, bombs, bullets, missiles, rockets, jets, tanks, submarines, ships, all kinds of stuff. A lot of it is literally sitting somewhere rusting. I wish I was making that up, but you have to understand that 
Once a district, once a congressperson realizes that the sole source of economic income for their voters is from this military installation and also from this you know, factory that makes tanks, the last thing you want is for the military to say, hey, stop on the tanks, we don't need them anymore, which is what the Pentagon has been saying for many years. There are multiple tanks and jets being funded, made, a lot of them don't even fucking work, never will work, um, but no one wants to cancel the project because that would mean a couple thousand jobs are lost in their district. So there are Congress people whose sole job in life is to make sure that that factory never closes and the order for tanks never stops. So there are whole fields, fields of tanks just sitting there. No one's using them. They're rusting. We don't need them. You only really need tanks during a wartime scenario, and right now we're not at war. And even during a wartime scenario, tanks may not be the best option. So, yeah, it's one of those things. Quite frankly, it's one of those things that drives me crazy when I hear about Ukraine, and Ukraine sitting there saying, we need more tanks. And I'm like, hey, this is the perfect opportunity. We have a shit ton of them just sitting there. Let's send them over. But... I imagine there's some foreign policy, you know, issues with that where they're like, okay, we don't want to, we want to poke Russia, but we don't want to poke Russia that hard because again, they have nukes and we don't want to make them crazy. So it is one of those things. Um, however, we have so much waste going on and a lot of it is the military industrial complex. Congressmen don't want plants closed. They don't want bases closed. They need all of this happening because that keeps their economy alive. And while it keeps their economy alive, it also keeps the people who own Raytheon, Boeing, and a lot of these other companies very, very happy and lined because they're getting a free government check every year. And the bill always keeps going up, but it never goes where the people want. So when you hear about this defense spending and anybody ever complains about, hey, maybe we shouldn't spend so much on defense, the first thing thrown at them is, oh, you don't support the troops. And what always drives me crazy is that nobody ever differentiates between defense spending and what we're actually spending on the troops. Nobody breaks it down and is be like, hey, if you want a troops support bill, I'm all for it. Let's raise their rates. Let's pay them decent wages. Let's pay them more than decent wages. Like seriously, these people should be able to retire after going to war. I'm tired of it. They are massively neglected and not taken care of. And that is bullshit and it needs to be fixed. However, they always tie it to the defense spending. And the reason is it works. The average American voter is dumb and doesn't bother to read past the headline so all they see is somebody they don't like saying hey we need to not spend this much on the military and then their opponents come out and say they don't support the troops and magically that person gets removed from office it's a very very clear story and it works again voters are dumb and i think it is incumbent incumbent upon the president to get out in front of this kind of shit right away because the president and i don't mean to lay this at the feet of the president it's not like i think the president has no power over this right congress controls the purse so if congress controls all the money why am i laying it at the president because the president has the megaphone they have the bully pulpit and if the president really wanted to make this a priority i think they could i think they could get up in front of the press every single day and hammer home hey this defense bill is not helping the troops at all. If you want to help the troops, we can write a separate bill that will raise their 
pay and take care of them. But that is not this. This, this bill right here is merely to keep the lights on at all of our bases and to keep factories open making bombs that we don't use. And again, a bomb is an investment that offers no return, okay? Your best case scenario is you spend a million dollars on a bomb and it never goes off. That's your best case scenario. It just sits there. It get it rusts, okay? It gets old. The chemicals inside degrade. It's no longer useful. And we end up having to spend money to disassemble it safely and make sure it doesn't, like, contaminate something. That's your best case scenario with that kind of an investment. Your worst case scenario with it is that you just spent a million dollars on something and then you dropped it and killed people with it. You destroyed probably some vital piece of infrastructure as well if you could get away with it. Like that's that's the worst case scenario is if the thing actually fucking does what it's designed to do. That's the worst case scenario. Okay, that that's horrible to me. Meanwhile, you could take that million dollars and I don't know, build a hospital, build a school, build a shelter for battered women. I mean, there's so many fucking good things you could do with all this money. And they're blowing it on things that we'll never use. Rusting fucking tanks in the middle of nowhere. Okay? So, when I find out and I hear about these stories where one in eight military families active duty are food insecure. Man, you're fucking kidding me. That is insane to me when you tell me we spend $848 billion just this year on our military and yet one in eight are food insecure families not service members families that is astonishing to me that should be absolutely mind shattering everyone should be out in the streets over this this is crazy right this is crazy this should be one of those things that has everybody up in arms yet nobody is no one. And I think part of the problem is because it's an all-voluntary service. Nixon, all those fuckers from Vietnam, they took the wrong lessons home. But one of the lessons they took, the wrong lesson I think, was, you know, if it's an all-voluntary service, people don't care if we treat them like cannon fodder. People can compartmentalize that in their head and be like, well, yeah, they volunteered for it. And I think that's where part of this comes from. I think that's why we can turn our heads and look away. Oh, well, they volunteered. You know, fuck the economic situation they were in where they were so screwed up. They thought, hey, in order to get out of poverty, I have to go sacrifice my life or perhaps to even have the hint of a college education. I have to go take a bullet. Most of us are never in that situation, but a lot of the servicemen and women are. And yet we have the audacity to turn our cheek to turn away from them when we find out bad things happened and say, well, yeah, they volunteered for it, dumbasses. And in case you think I'm being funny, that is literally what the former president of the United States was saying about it. He dodged for a reason. He thought draft dodgers were smart. Remember in 2018 when he was supposed to go to Paris to honor World War I American war dead? Instead, he didn't go at all. And he has been quoted quote why should i go to that cemetery it's filled with losers end quote 
So the last thing I'd like to talk about today actually has to do with an executive order or a policy change over at the Homeland Security Office that I think is very relevant and it kind of is flying under the radar. It was uh, brought up by Greg Sargent over at the Washington Post uh, in an opinion column. So I, I do think it's relevant. So basically what has happened is that you have these immigrants and they will cross illegally into the country and be hired by you know farmers who are looking to exploit them, obviously. Sure, we can argue some of them are probably good, but most of them are there because they, they, they specifically hire illegals because they can exploit them. They give them longer hours, less breaks, less pay, less everything, basically, and they treat them uh, basically like indentured servitude. Into the fact that it is known that some of these employers, if uh, one of their employees is doing something they don't like, they'll actually threaten them with deportation. Well, if you don't like it, I'll, I'll report you to the authorities and they'll deport you because you're here illegally. And also because of this, a lot of atrocities are actually going on on the border by a lot of people who are exploiting them and feeling like they can treat them however they want. Um, and for the most part, this has been true for a very long time. So the good news is that President Biden, uh, in working with his director of Homeland Security, Mayorkas, uh, have put into effect a rule saying that whistleblowers uh, who are here illegally, immigrants, illegal immigrants, who are whistleblowers will not be deported. It'll be entirely up to the uh, lawyers basically involved in the prosecution whether or not that will happen. Um, which is great news because obviously you want people who are seeing human rights abuses or any kind of abuses to feel free to speak up and not have any kind of retaliation. So this is something new that is being brought up that the Biden administration is going to stop stop deporting people who willingly report crimes. Um, this will also make it more likely that you know if one person speaks up and says something, the investigators come into town and they start asking the other people. There won't be this reluctance anymore, or at least there shouldn't be this reluctance in uh, in helping them. They can literally say, no, really, you can tell us what you've seen. You can be a witness against your employer and you will not be punished for it by being deported. Um, that's an entirely different matter. Now, this still doesn't solve the problem of how we deal with immigration in this country overall but it is something small that the administration can do and i think they deserve you know credit for that it still sucks because you know that the second a desantis or trump get in office it's going to be one of the first things they reverse this is a policy that is very small it's flying under the radar i doubt any attorneys general working for like Texas or any of the border states or any state is going to make a huge stink of this because again why would you why would you side with the exploitative employer right cuz that's really the only person that gets punished in this it doesn't punish any employer of illegal immigrants it doesn't punish anybody except the ones that are crossing lines so it's one of those things that's going to happen and because it's not going to be challenged in the courts which is a good thing uh, that means it can be reversed very easily. Um, so take, for example, Dreamers. So the president at the time, Obama, signed the uh, signed the executive order protecting Dreamers. The immigrants who were brought here as children had no control in the decision and have lived their entire lives here. They, they've known nothing else. But they are not natural-born citizens here in the United States. So he signed that in uh, the, you know, 
attorneys general got all pissed off and started suing him, but the courts backed it. And once the courts backed it, it was kind of further enshrined into law to the point that nobody's trying to sue to get the Dreamers deported right now. That's just not a thing that's happening. Um, because this isn't going to be challenged, it's not going to have that. So basically what's going to end up happening is, again, if a DeSantis or a Trump get in and they reverse it and say, for example, a blue governor, a blue attorneys general from, say, California, uh, another border state sues to keep it in place, it's going to be that much harder to do so. The same thing is going on right now with uh, a former Trump rule where he used uh, a COVID rule to keep immigrate immigrants out of the country, it was sued by the left, rightly so in my opinion, but then the courts went ahead and backed it, wrongly in my opinion, and because of that, now Biden has it, and when he tried to remove it, the Republican attorneys general basically went in and said, no, 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 you can't remove it, it was backed by the courts, this is, this is something that is needed, this is important now even though everyone on the right says that COVID is over and we should go about our daily lives. Hint, it's not, and we shouldn't, and yeah, more people are going to die because of it. Um, but that's just the whole like downside to this. Uh, so the Greg Sargent article is actually saying it's great that, you know, look how Biden's outmaneuvered the right uh, into thinking this, but I'm actually sitting here going, no, actually, I think they learned their lesson. If it's something they don't like, and something that can be easily overturned later, the last thing you want to do is establish precedent. Because hypothetically, the right comes after Biden for this decision with guns blazing. What if they draw the wrong card, they make the wrong legal argument, and a judge backs it? Now it's judicially backed. Now there's precedent. And it is a lot harder, I know the Supreme Court ignores precedent these days, but it is a lot harder to overturn precedent. No judge wants to overrule another judge. So it's best, in their case, I think this is not a smart move, on, or it's, it's not Biden outmaneuvering them. I think it's the right playing the long game, which they're very good at. I think they're sitting there going, no, 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 let's not challenge this in court because that could potentially not go our way and then it would create precedent furthermore nobody wants to look bad by defending the exploit exploiters but i guarantee you know that that's kind of the downside is with all these executive orders and cabinet policy decisions they can all be overruled and overturned and i'm afraid that's what's going to end up happening ultimately what we need to do is put more pressure onto our congress people which unfortunately is a nightmare again please call, write them snail mail. Like seriously, they pay more attention to that than your email. They can just, they can ignore digital. And it's not even that they do it intentionally. Just think about it with yourself. You know, you tend to remember handwritten letters more than an email. So, you know, just follow human nature here. Snail mail, emails do work. I'm not saying they don't, by all means do it, but like seriously, break out pen and paper, put a stamp on that bitch and send it to your congressperson and really mandate, look, we need some reform here. This constant petty bickering back and forth. And, you know, unfortunately, this is one of those situations where, you know, I think the right doesn't want the border solved because if they really got what they wanted, 
you know, if they got their border, if Biden just said, fine, fuck it, we'll build your border wall, but also I need a path to legalization for the ones that are already here. If there was actually a compromise and there was actual reform, well, then the right really doesn't have anything anymore, right? They really don't. And I think it would end up backfiring, just kind of like Roe v. Wade is right now. Everyone would see them for what they are and revert. Um, so credit to Biden and his administration for doing this. This is something that is one of those things that makes total sense and you're kind of amazed it hasn't happened before now. But it hasn't. So he deserves credit for that. Um, unfortunately, because the executive is doing it on his own, it means the next executive could easily reverse it. And if it is somebody like Trump, who is a vindictive, petty little bitch, that's exactly what's going to happen. Because you have to not just win, you have to erase the person you hate the most from the history books. Again, this is the sole reason he upended the Iran nuclear deal was because he didn't negotiate it. Obama did. And he wanted Obama's victory or success or anything you wanted to credit it. He wanted that in the toilet. And yay, Iran is working on nukes again. Win. Yeah. All for one man's pettiness. Now, that was a that was a solid victory. Sure. Uh, anyway, that's our show today. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we will see you again tomorrow. In the meantime, uh, be safe. Have some fun if you can. Definitely get vaccinated. Wear the mask if you need it. If not, I understand. It's a pain. But take care of yourself out there. Are you not entertained? Thanks again for listening. If you want to support the show, please like, subscribe, and share wherever you get your podcasts.